even though it was in you know a dome uh you could just feel the intensity uh you know from all the crowd you know even if it was you know carolina guys watching the fans watching it virginia like they just knew like this is like probably the game of the tournament and um you know and you know and it lived up to it i mean it was a lot of back and forth you know guys making big shots after big shots that is duke freshman point guard chris duhan recalling yet another legendary game from the 2001 season the acc tournament semifinal against maryland welcome back to return to glory the story of the 2001 duke blue devil men's basketball national champions i'm your host jason evans Throughout this series, we've heard from different heroes who helped the Blue Devils win key games. Players like Jay Williams, Carlos Boozer, Shane Battier, and even backup big men, Casey Sanders and Reggie Love. On this episode, a new hero steps forward, Nate James. As you may recall, when we last left the team, they had changed their style of play in the wake of Carlos Boozer's injury. Playing small and fast, had allowed Duke to spank North Carolina in the regular season finale. That game sent the Blue Devils on to the ACC tournament and a semifinal matchup against the Maryland Terrapins. Duke had already played two memorable games with Maryland, and this third matchup would be no different. The game was a tight back-and-forth contest when Mike Dunleavy hit a pair of free throws with just 16 seconds remaining to give Duke a three-point lead. For those final 16 seconds, Coach K pulled Dunleavy out of the game and inserted Nate James. James had been a starter for most of the season, but had moved to the bench late in the year as part of the transition to that smaller, faster lineup. Nate recalled to me being eager and ready to contribute from off the bench. Well, once again, we're, we're, we're playing um, Maryland ACC semis, and um, I, I'm actually like on the bench. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, like, I, coach put me in, I'm going to make a play. Coach put me in, we, we're going to win this game, I'm going to make a play. All right. And I'm like, I'm really, it's not one of them old head, <laughs> since I know what the outcome and what, what everything occurred and what I did. No, I really, like, if I coach put me in, I'm, I'm going to make a play happen. So he ends up, uh, you know, calling my number. And then that's one thing I try to tell the guys, they look, you're on the bench, if you're into the game, you're like, coach, I'm ready. You know, he'll just throw you out there sometimes. And and and, and he did that with me, trusted me and put me out there in, in a tough spot. With Duke up three, Maryland raced down court and their point guard, Steve Blake, hit a three-pointer to tie the score with less than 10 seconds remaining. Duke got the ball in the hands of star guard, Jason Williams. And here's what happened next. And I knew, you know, Jason was going to get the ball and he was going to, you know, set up a play where he's going to try to get to the rim. And I knew the entire defense would shift to him. And if he makes it, great. We're, we're, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be up. And he drives. Everything happens. They come over and he ends up, you know, missing it. And, you know, I was one of the probably the, the leading offensive rebounder on the team that that year. So running in, you know, that no hesitation, I run in and, you know, I get the tip. And in my mind, I'm like, got the tip. 
everyone's going crazy, you know, we're up. And I had a moment where I'm like, yes, I knew you put me in. I knew I was going to do something. And then that moment turned to, I better get my butt back. I got to get back. I got to get back. <laughs> so I'm trying to sprint back. They throw it to the one guy that I knew was going to receive the ball, Juan Dixon. He gets it. You know, he shoots the shot and damn near makes it and ruins the moment. But uh, but that tip, you know, I thank God it didn't go in. And uh, that tip was one of the one of the great memories that I that I had and uh, you know, helping us get to uh to the championship where we faced Carolina that year. Um, but uh just a just a moment where it's the ultimate be ready for the next play. So so you're battling a bunch of guys for that rebound. Is there are you really trying to tip it in? I mean, how much control is there that you have over the over a ball like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I did it many times, you know. Um, it's just trying to tip it in. You know, we I, I never practiced a tip drill, you know, but I always knew how to, you know, to crash and 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 and, and tip it. And that's something that uh, you know, I always uh had to do because I was hungry to score. You know, we we, we tell our guys all the time, like, man, you gotta be hungry to make a play. And we were, you know, and I was. So uh, I think there's even a picture where I'm like moving hands out of the way and, you know, just somehow getting over there. Um, it was a, a whole host of big guys, you know, guys, just big time athletes. And I somehow, you know, go over and and, 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 and make the play. But um, yeah, it's just the ultimate, you know, just being in the moment and, and not thinking about anything, but uh, trying to win. And And by the way, uh, you know, you're you're obviously a big guy compared to me, but once you get in there under the boards, oh, you the trees, man. Those, those guys, yeah, big, big time. Well, I mean, what what's what's it like? What's the you know what's the secret to to rebounding amidst guys who are four or five inches taller than you? <laughs> well, it helps when you go get a run. You know, that's that's one thing that at at, at my size, you know, six five and a half. Um, you know, was a good strong kid, um, good athlete. So I want to run. You know, I kind of have the advantage and, and they're looking at the play trying to stop Jason, you know, trying to get a block. And usually you can't make two plays, you know, you can't go for the block shot and get the, get the rebound. So I, I, I knew that. So once they drove, the ball was in the air and it became off the rim, right? You know, you, I was going to get it with the bringing it down and, and going back up with it or tipping it in, which, which I had to do, um, you know, because of the time. Chris Duhon, the guard who had replaced Nate James as a starter, said after Nate's game-winning tip, he was relieved because he never wanted to face Maryland again. Uh, you know, we, we come down and it's tied up again. And, you know, here comes Jay coming down and, he goes up and shoots it and, you know, you know, Nate's there at the right time in the right place. Cause now we, you know, we go back with booze being gone. We started playing smaller as well. So, you know, there are times, you know, we'll bring in Reggie Love and, you know, Matt Christensen at times, but, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, Mike was, I mean, Shane was playing the five, Mike was playing the four, you know, Nate was at the three, you know, I, you know, I was playing at two J, so we were like really small. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, but you know, Nate there at the right time as always. You know, never giving up the play, giving up on the play. 
you know, tips it in. And then, uh, you know, next thing, you know, remember they, you know, get the ball down the half court and, you know, Juan Dixon shoots one from half court and like almost goes in. Like you could just hear the crowd just go, oh. And it was just like, you know, you can see when they missed that shit, it's like not a good, like this can't, this can't happen to us again. Like that's like impossible. But, uh, you know, kind of in our, I know in my mind, I knew that was the ACC championship game right there. Like we already blew the doors off of Carolina at their place. And like our small lineup really was really, really bad for the way that they wanted to play and how they matched up with us. So I knew matchup wise, uh, you know, we were, we were going to take care of business with them. So uh, beating them again, I was like, Oh, I finally, like we're done with these guys for the rest of the year. Like, <laughs> like we don't have to see them again. Like I think that's, uh, if I had like us beating them, like I didn't think there was any other team in the country uh, that we could beat. I thought Maryland was the second best team in the country, you know, that year. Uh, so us being able to beat them, it was kind of like, for me, okay, we're going to win this thing. Like, you know, we stick to the to what we're doing. Like, I'm, I'm not afraid of any other team out there. Like, we're going we're gonna to win this. Duhan was right about the ACC championship game. Duke would crush North Carolina for the second time in a week winning the ACC title by a score of 79 to 53. But Duhan was wrong about Duke being done with Maryland. The two teams would face each other for a fourth time. But that's a story for another episode. So if you think that this episode of Return to Glory went by too quickly, I agree. My conversation with the 2001 Duke Blue Devil players was not just confined to chatting about the games. We talked about the other things that make a team function properly. Other things like practical jokes. Here's senior walk-on Ryan Caldbeck. First of all, I think the idea that there were practical jokers is in and of itself the ultimate practical joke that someone else is playing because they're trying to push blame to a small number of people. So whoever first said this on the podcast that said that there was a small group of practical jokers is trying to throw us under the bus to laugh about it later. Uh, everyone played jokes. Everyone did. The starters, the walk-ons, everyone played jokes. Um, and you, you just, I don't want to say you have to, because I'm sure that there are teams that um, are effective without doing it, but it's really darn hard to make it through, you know, what feels at times like isolation um, from the outside world without some levity. Matt Christensen was my roommate uh, one year, um, oh, 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 I think, uh, 2000. And he, uh, I came home one day, he had filled up my entire bathtub with, it was like a jelly. It was like some sort of like bizarre, I, I actually texted him about it and asked him what it was a few days ago, because I thought you were going to ask about this. And it's like a some sort of weird jelly that he found. And so that took hours to get rid of. Um, it was disgusting, frankly, the whole bathtub. I mean, it was like two feet deep. Uh, I, I, you know, Dante was just religious about, uh, practical jokes and, 
he didn't seem to have much of a limit um, as perhaps I wouldn't have had I been redshirted. Uh, you know, and so there were often like little things that in retrospect aren't that funny, but at the time were pretty funny, like putting a bunch of traffic cones on the top of my car and, and kind of digging them in and just stuff like that. So you just heard Ryan talk about Dante Jones, who was a redshirt transfer in 2001 and was ineligible for games. But Dante sat on the bench most of the time. And as Andy Borman told me, sitting next to him was a dangerous situation. There are a couple of things I remember. One of them was, and I, I alluded to the fact earlier, like Dante was a red shirt. So Dante wasn't playing. Um, and during the games, you know, it's our job to bring energy. And like, I remember it was my goal at all times on the bench to be as far away from Dante as humanly possible because that man, he has, he is, he has grown man strength. And so like a high five from anyone else is a high five, a high five from him could break your hand, you know, like <laughs> a, a bear hug from, you know, like a bear hug from him, you know, like you, you feel it the next day. But the other thing he used to throw dudes on the court, like during the game, like, like you, and you should ask Duhan about it. You should ask Caldbeck about it. Like he would grab, like after a big play, you know, we score in front of our bucket right in front of the bench and we're running back on defense. Like he'd pick you up and throw you on the court. And you're like, you're out there, you know, scrambling, you know, to get, to get back to the bench. So, yeah. And he thought it was hysterical and I thought it was mortifying. Um, so I would in the process of cheering for my teammates and trying to be a part of it, I would make sure that at all times I was out of arm's reach from Dante because you're one big play away from getting thrown on the court. Um, That's hysterical. I, yeah. And you need to, <laughs> you need to ask those guys. Cause like, well, I will, I know he got me a couple times and I know he got called back a couple times. And there was even, I was joking with uh Duhan about it the other day. You know, I, th there was some, some game you'd have to ask Chris which game, but there, there was some game where like we were up, you know, 30. And, and so Chris wasn't in the game. And I don't think Chris had any idea that Dante would do that. And I, you know, like someone did something and Dante chucked Chris onto the court. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was part of it. You know, that was certainly, you know, <laughs> it was, it was fun. You heard Ryan suggest that I ask Chris Duhon about the danger of sitting next to Dante on the bench. Here's what Duhon told me about it. I was told I need to ask you about the danger of being next to Dante Jones on the bench. <laughs> yeah, that is that's like the uh, a painful experience. Uh, yeah, very painful. So with Dante, I mean, he's just 
<laughs> he is so into the games. So for me, I remember we, we were playing uh, in New York, playing Temple, and it was late in the game. And, you know, I'm on the sideline. I'm at the end of the bench with them. And, you know, we hit a big bucket. And I, you know, jump up. And I just feel this two-hand push pushes me like in my back and I go sliding on the court like there's no timeout yet or anything like that so I go sliding on the court and I gotta get up and he's just sitting there like laughing and like like just having the grandest of times or you know the game would get close and then he's the the king of the shoulder bite like he gets behind you and then he just bites the shit off the back of your shoulder for whatever reason. <laughs> like, like, you know, get off me. Like, 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 it was like, that was his thing, man. And, uh, but, and, you know, we talk about guys that kept it light for us, but he was one of those guys just because of those type of things, uh, you know, that he did. As you might imagine, I wanted Dante Jones's perspective on his sideline antics. He told me it was just his way of channeling his energy. Yeah, we had we had some good fun over there, man. Because like those guys are dressed, and I'm just I'm I was just excited to be there, just to be part of something special, man. And I take pride in being a teammate, like cheering on my teammates if I'm playing or if I'm not. Like I'm engaged in the game at all points and times. And we had a we had some great guys on our bench, so we had a great relationship, and we just. We just kept that vibe going of giving giving energy to the guys that were playing. And then we got a little rough on the sides as well. I got my chance to take my energy out on them because they are little dirty little, little dudes. On, just like sneak in jabs, um, throw you on the floor, like try and get you in trouble, do stupid stuff like that because they were kids and they still are kids. So wait, you really, you would try and throw guys on the floor? They, they started with me. They tried to throw me on the floor to get me in trouble and then I, and I'm stronger than them. So yes, I'd be the one to get called out. <laughs> I love it. Did you guys ever get in trouble? Nah, we ain't get no trouble because Coach Cat had too much to go on and, and work through and, and pay attention to. But it was just little, little games that we were just playing on the side, man, just to keep us engaged. The bench wasn't the only unsafe place for the 2001 Blue Devils. Again and again, I heard from the team about the perils of being on an elevator with your teammates. Casey Sanders picks up the story. Dude, the practical jokes just didn't stop. I mean, we I need more. Really, I need more. Come oh, on. No, I got more. Okay, so I'll give you a prime example. One of the things that JD also set precedent was this thing I didn't even know about until I got there called the ball tap. <laughs> now, this is so funny because when we're in practice and we're setting screens, it's something we almost naturally do, which is to, you know, cup your balls and kind of get big, you know, so you protect yourself and then get wide. Dude, we, <laughs> I don't know how this started off, but all I know is as a freshman and sophomore, all I remember doing was every time I entered an elevator, it was like time to cup, cup up because you know, <laughs> if you were just standing there unaware, it could happen to you. And I mean, this is what breeds these stories about us being, you know, not unsure of our sexuality. Has nothing to do that. I mean, just the pure panic of a kid who's left unguarded and he forgot, and then he gets this ball tap. <laughs> we all just thought it was so funny. Back to Chris Duhon now. As I mentioned, he was a freshman and was new to the team. He told me he learned very quickly that being on the elevator was a dangerous place. So that had to start before I got there because uh, 
I mean, it was just a known thing. And, you know, I didn't know. I, I, I'm trying to see, did he get me? I don't think he got me. But I saw it, like, the first time we got on the elevator. And then, like, I was wondering, like, everybody would get on the elevator. And immediately, everybody just holds their crotch. Like, all of a sudden, like, so I'm like, what's going on? But then now it just kind of became this, you know, it was this game. Like, anybody that wasn't, it was, oh! And, and I mean, it didn't matter who else was on the elevator. It could be this 80-year-old woman that's, we're in the hotel, and she's just going up to her room. And, you know, we just so happen to be in there. And, you know, and Shane will let you know. And, he, and he's looking, and he's he's going to hit you. And then it was, Dre Buck was doing it, and Borman. Like, so it was kind of, I guess I, Ended up becoming our thing. I didn't know he invented it. So I was kind of, again, I was late to the party. Uh, but I learned very quickly. You know, I, I uh, you know, I kind of saw what was going around. So I was just like making sure I was not a victim, <laughs> a victim of the nut punch for sure. How would you, how would you even push the button for your floor if you're, if you got to be on the lookout? So usually a manager would be on there. But the thing is, like, the managers weren't off limits either. So like, <laughs> like, so they knew about it as well. So it was kind of one of those one hand type of things or, you know what? Hey, we just got to sit in the elevator until <laughs> someone's brave enough to press the button. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so maybe most of the, usually the guy that goes in first has the, the opportunity to do it. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think if we're on the road, sometimes we're not all on the same floor. So, uh you know, you would just take that chance, even if you have to go all the way back down and then have to come all the way back up. Um, you know, I tried to not get in the crowded elevator. Like, I, I'll wait for the next one. <laughs> I'm not in a rush to get, I'm not in a rush to get to my room. So I'll be all right. <laughs> Several players revealed to me that senior All-American Shane Battier, one of the greatest team leaders in NCAA history, was the master of these elevator antics. Here's Matt Christensen. As in all other things, Shane had had um, had veteran tricks uh, that, that he could bring to bear in, in any game. So when we would get on elevators, everybody would, would cover up uh, their genitals um, because if, if you didn't, uh, Shane would find a way to gently uh, or not so gently um, give you a little tap. <laughs> not, not enough to put someone on the floor, uh, but uh, but uh, definitely a, a pain in your stomach. Um, in in the weird world of college basketball, I guess passed as a, a, some, some version of fun. Um, but yeah, th that uh, always a little weird when uh, somebody else would get on the elevator with us, and uh, you're wondering. Does the presence of a stranger mean that the game is off? Uh, and <laughs> in general, I think everybody's assumption was no. So, so there, there are you know a few dozen people in the world who probably wondered, do they always stand like this, or like, what's why why are all these these, these men uh, standing here um, in in some some kind of defensive posture? Uh, I, I would imagine plenty of people wondered what was going on. And Jay Williams agreed. Being on the elevator with Shane was scary. Who does ball taps? Who ball taps? This team, apparently. 
Like, and it, they weren't they weren't always ball taps. I mean, people got hit in the balls with closed fist. It wasn't a tap. It was a I'm like, who's doing that? Stop. I used to get so angry at it. But like guys always did it. It was just what dudes did. Uh, who was the master? Who was the best at it? I, I heard Shane, I heard Shane Battier was the master of the ball. Shane was pretty good at it because Shane would try to lure you in. Like Shane would try to like talk to you or like make conversation going into the elevator or like get you to look at something. Like Shane like always like mastermind plotting on how to ball tap you. Shane Battier, the leader of our fearless team, the guy who is like the ultimate winner, the hero was the infamous ball tapper. Okay, before we wrap up this episode, there is one more story to tell. Everyone on the team said the biggest prankster on the 2001 Blue Devils was reserve guard Andre Buckner. You may recall on an earlier episode of Return to Glory that Dre Buck was the guy who loved to sing about bagels in the shower. Well, he told me about a prank war he got into that really went to another level. Here's Dre Buck on how he ruined his teammate's hotel room. Oh, oh my God! All right, so uh, yeah, I, I admit I'm I'm the I'm the jokester. I'm uh, I'm, the, I'm the jokester, the practical jokester of, of, of the group. Um, uh, one particular incident uh, this season, Ryan Callback and I were all we always room, we were roomies on the uh, on the road. So uh, I can't remember whose room we snuck into, but uh, <laughs> this is embarrassing. But man, I I took a massive dump in a trash can. <laughs> oh no! Covered you it up with toilet, <laughs> covered it up with toilet tissue and and all kinds of stuff, and just let it sit in the middle of the room. <laughs> I can't remember whose room it was, but it was just there. And you know, it, it, you know, obviously you smell that smell, and you figure someone in the bathroom may have just left it, but that smell in that room never left because they never figured out <laughs> where it was coming from. So in that story, you heard Dre tell me that he couldn't remember whose room he destroyed with his dump. Well, Andy Borman knew the answer to that question. I feel like I was collateral damage in that one. I was roommates with Ryan Kalbeck on this particular road trip. And I don't know what Ryan did to get under Andre Buckner's skin or to deserve some type of payback. Um, all, I, all I know is that I was in the hotel room by myself and it stank. And, and the room stank. And I remember, you know, walking into the bathroom, making sure the toilet was flushed. And, no, it's not the toilet. And I remember like, okay, something's going on here. And I remember checking the trash can, but the trash bag was empty. So it's, it's not the trash can and it stank. And so I remember going and getting callback wherever he was, whatever room he was in and saying like, there's something going on. And we, could, we couldn't figure out the source of this awful smell. Um, <laughs> and, and Andre had 
taken a crap in one of our trash cans and then put an empty trash bag on top of it so that you didn't know unless you took the bag out what was the source of this stink. And I, I mean, I was just like hit his, you know, Andre's retribution got taken out on an innocent bystander um, being me, you know, and whatever, whatever I was doing, you know, playing on my phone or reading a book or whatever. I, I mean, it was, it was foul. It was, <laughs> it was foul. I, did, did you guys get revenge on him at all? Or did you just go, okay, he wins. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight this yeah. guy. He's clearly too crazy. <laughs> I, I can tell you, you know, in that regard, I did not seek retribution because, you know, where could this escalate to? you know, sounded scary to me. Um, that makes sense. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there, there was always something, you know, like we, we were, you know, we were always towing the line of having a lot of fun and hopefully never getting caught. Right. Hopefully, hopefully never, you know, doing anything that would kind of like, you know, raise the eyebrows or bring the attention of a coach to the table. And with that smelly story, we wrap up this episode of Return to Glory, but stick around. After a short commercial break, I'll have a preview of what's coming up next. Welcome back to Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devil National Champions. On our next episode, Duke reaches the final four. When the brackets came out, there was little doubt, little to no doubt that we were going to play Maryland in the final four. And they jumped on us. Like just, they jumped to a 22-point lead to start the game. Woo! I remember Shane calling, kind of calling out like, you know, we've been here before. Like, we've been down double digits to these guys before. Like, we're okay. The final four and facing Maryland for a fourth time on the next episode of Return to Glory. Return to Glory is a production of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is written, edited, and hosted by me, Jason Evans. None of this would have been possible without the generous participation of every member of the 2001 Duke Blue Devils men's basketball team. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devil National Champions.